This scripture reading and the following address were part of the YouTube stream worship service from St Paul's Lutheran Church, Box Hill, Victoria, Australia, on Maundy Thursday, April 6, 2023. For more information, visit www.stpaulsboxhill.org.au. Today, Maundy Thursday, is written in the Gospel according to St John, chapter 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Peter said to him, You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God's been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I'm with you, only a little longer. You'll look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, 
if you have love for one another. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ on this holy night, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm preaching on both the Gospel for today and the second reading, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, as is brought to us by St Paul's in 1 Corinthians 11. But let me ask you a question first, and not an easy question. What would you do if you suddenly found out that you were going to die tomorrow? What would you do? Of all the many things that you could do, what would be your top priority? What would you do? Well, it's sobering even to contemplate that, but my guess is that as far as possible, you'd gather your nearest and dearest uh, to you and tell them that you love them. Hopefully, something they've heard before, many times, but this time with an ultimate significance, with weight that they'll carry with them forever after, seeing they'll never hear it from you again. That's what healthy families do, isn't it? Uh, If they know that death is coming, they gather, they watch, they wait, conveying their love for one another by word and by deed, saying, I love you, and I love you too. A dear friend of ours didn't have long left to live. So with help of his good wife, he gathered friends around for a last meal together, bringing out the best reds he had to express his love for us. Peter Kreeft, in a valuable book called... uh, Before I go, letters to our children about what really matters, says this. If I knew there was only one minute left for us to talk to each other, and after that minute we'd never again see each other in this world, what would be the one thing I would most want to say to you and to hear you say to me? I love you, of course, but also I forgive you. Because love has enemies, and forgiveness destroys all those enemies. Well, this is precisely what Jesus did on the night he was betrayed, the night he knew that he would die tomorrow. He gathered those closest to him, and he told them by word and deed how much he loved them. He dismissed the servants, probably provided with the upper room, and did the foot washing himself, turning a menial task into a profound expression of his self-giving love for them. Love which didn't consider even his high and holy divinity a barrier, but which emptied itself, pouring itself into the footbath with the water, dirtying itself with the unsewered street filth of other people's open sandaled feet. And he hosted a meal for them too, a meal in which he brought out his very best. 
as well. His holy, precious blood, soon to flow from open wounds inflicted by cruel soldiers with their whips and thorns and their nails and spears. A meal, too, of his sacred body, born of Mary, grown to the prime of life, and then scorned, thrashed, and lifted on a cross to die the most horrible of deaths. He loved them deeply, and he loved them to the end. And he expressed that love directly to them the day before he died. But it wasn't so clean cut, was it? The disciples he gathered didn't accept that his end was near. As children might protest when a parent unexpectedly announces that this in fact is their last day together ever. Just as Jesus rebuked, uh, just as Peter rebuked Jesus for his earlier talk of death, remember he said, never Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then tried to prevent it with his sword later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Despite all that Jesus had taught about the Son of Man having to suffer and die for the sins of the world, when it came to the crunch, they didn't accept it adding to his suffering. And let's be clear, Jesus suffered every single day he journeyed to the cross. He was never without suffering. He suffered the deprivations of humanity, no longer in harmony with God's good creation since the fall. He suffered hunger and thirst. He suffered pain and fatigue. He suffered the brokenness of society the tyranny of the strong, the impoverishment of the weak and the madness of crowds. He suffered the distress of the sick and disabled, the mentally disturbed, the cruelly oppressed, for all of whom the scriptures make clear he felt deep compassion. Compassion means fellow suffering, suffering with. Perceiving as only he could the full extent of what's wrong with the world. He suffered the grief of parents who've lost a child, a wife who's lost a husband, single sisters who lost their provided brother, a man born blind, and on and on every day to the whole people of God um, who had lost, who were lost like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd, led astray by charlatans and mauled by wolves, his own people the people of God. He suffered his own town, his hometowns disowning him, trying to throw him off a cliff. And his family, even his mother, yes, thinking he was mad and trying to stop his ministry. So that with a broken heart, he taught a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He suffered the leaders of God's people turning their backs on him the one God sent to bring light to the darkness and life to the dying. So much that he wept over Jerusalem, the city that means the place of peace, as it rejected the Messiah that it was waiting for and meant to welcome. He suffered every one of his chosen 12, deserting him in his hour of need. The leaders not even able to stay awake in prayer while he faced the greatest test in Gethsemane. Peter going on to deny him three times. That's as complete as you can get. 
and another one of the twelve actually betraying him for money and doing it, having the gall to do it with a kiss. Each of those disciples' particular failures depicted by uh, Leonardo da Vinci in his magnificent painting of The Last Supper. You have to look at it closely and you have to read about it to see how da Vinci portrays each of those disciples uh, and their role in our Lord's suffering. In short, Jesus suffered the sins of the whole world, subjectively, experientially, existentially, as well as objectively, as God the Father counted them against him. And I haven't even mentioned the injustice of his arrest and trial. And to that suffering was added always the intensity of temptation that only he could experience, the temptation to break free of his unity with sin-filled humanity and draw on his divine power to force good on the world instead of saving it by suffering it himself. So when Jesus gathered those he prepared to continue his mission, after his death, those 12, they were it. He must have felt like a farmer, leaving the family business to children who can't tell the difference between a tractor and a telephone pole, wanted to go surfing rather than sewing, and whose hearts are simply not in it. Leading him at one stage to cry out, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yet what does he do? What does he do? He tells them he loves them and that he forgives them despite it all. And he institutes his Holy Supper, not just to help them along the way, but to replace the whole Mosaic covenant established when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt, as we heard in the first reading, through the sacrificed blood of the Passover lamb. He institutes a new covenant in his own blood. And for what? For the forgiveness of sins. For the, give, for the forgiveness of all that caused his and everyone else's suffering of all sins of all time, ours too, which still caused Jesus to suffer as the forever wounded Lamb of God. I love you and I forgive you, even as in ignorance and weakness you sin against me time and time again. Now this is what Jesus says to you today, to you personally, and to us all together, for we're all included in the Lord's last and everlasting supper, beautifully depicted again by da Vinci, leaving this side of the table open for us. That space there is for us. Including explicitly by what Jesus actually says there in the upper room, and there he repeats here, and we'll say again tonight when in faith and obedience we do this in remembrance of him. For when he says, take and eat, this is my body given for you, and drink of it all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, he's actually saying, 
if you'll pardon my English and let me do some American, given for you all, shed for you all, because in the Greek it's plural, given for you, you all. Now this matches God giving the saving pass over to the whole people of Israel, if you noted that from the first reading, to be put in practice by families gathered together by households, not by each individual on their own. This way the Lord saved the children of Israel and gave future generations the means to participate in that salvation. The annual Passover feast done in remembrance of it collectively. That's what Jesus was leading that night that he was betrayed, functioning as the head of the household, gathering uh, his children, the disciples, and in the process, transforming that Passover into something else, the saving meal of the new covenant that he was creating by shedding his own blood on the cross. Not only expressing his love and forgiveness through it, but giving them his last will and testaments, what a new covenant is. It's a writing of a new will. Just as we will prepare a will to care for our loved ones on the occasion of our death. Now this is important for us as the household of God collected together in this place, in this particular Christian congregation and visitors in whatever is your home congregation, is to us collectively in the plural that our Lord serves the sacrament. We don't conduct the Lord's Supper privately in our personal devotions at home, but together here at St Paul's Lutheran Church, Box Hill, when Jesus says for you in our service with communion, he means for you all together as this community. So much so that we collectively become his body in the process, as St Paul says, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all participate, we all commune in the one bread, signified by the single wafer held up by our pastor when he consecrates the elements. You cannot be a Christian alone, Jesus says. You belong in a household and must participate in it. Communion is communal, fellowship in Christ. Now, it's into this communion that Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, giving his collective meal to go with his collective commandment where we're to notice and to consider and to care for and to sacrifice for the other here with us. So look around when you commune. Pay attention to who exactly the Lord has given as our closest brothers and sisters in this place. And lift this family up in prayer. And there's no better time to do it than as you see people come forward to receive the sacrament with you. Receive love from your Holy Communion family too and love it back, forgiving it as well because there's always plenty to forgive. Because given for you all, given for us all, it is with the love and the forgiveness of our crucified and risen Lord. And so the peace, the peace that comes with Holy Communion together, keep your hearts and minds safe in Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Amen.